1 John chapter 3, our passage this morning is verses 11 through 18, um, and as you're, uh, you're turning there, um, I want you to, to, to think about something for just a moment. I have a few questions to kind of tee things up this morning. Number one is this, how, how do people recognize that you are a Christian? If you're a believer in Jesus, how do people know that? Where you live should be. Do they know that? Hmm. It, it, this has been kind of a major theme in the book of First John here. Um, really, it's kind of walking through. This is what it looks like to live out the gospel. This is what it looks like for you to be a redeemed uh, person, a redeemed creation that God calls. It's what it means to be God's kid. Right? We've talked about that several times, being God's kid, His children. This is what it means to be God's kids. People, it should be evident in our lives. So what does it look like realistically to be a follower of Jesus? what John has been talking about. It's the main theme. Uh, the main theme of today's passage is people will know you, will know that you are a believer by how you love one another. Now, this is not a new subject that John has talked about in 1 John. In fact, it will, he will say it again a few more times. And there's a reason why, I was talking with a brother this, this past week, there's, the, the way the Bible is re- written, they don't bold or highlight or italicize in the original script. You know what they do to make a point that's something really, really important? They repeat it over and over again. Hey, hey this is important. And John over and over has says, hey, love one another, love one another. And he will say it again as we walk through the rest of 1 John. He will say it numerous times, love one another. So we're going to talk about what it looks like to love one another today. So here's another question I have for you to think about. Number one was how do people recognize that you are a Christian? Here's the second one. Do you agree that the world would be a better place if we were more loving? I don't think anybody would deny that. But here's the problem in our culture. We, tre- we tend to treat other people how they treat us, don't we? If you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. If you're mean to me, bring it on. Let's go. It's like, Duke's up, right? We kind of one-up each other in those things, right? But this is not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that believers should treat others how God treats us. And church, I want you to think about something. How, How good does God treat you? That's worth writing down and pondering every day. How good does God treat us? How good does God treat us? John and his other book in his gospel in John 13 35 he says by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another do you love people honestly do you love people obnoxious people people that don't like you do you love people that have a different outlook on life than you Do you love people that don't like you? Do you love your neighbor that stays up all night in his garage working on stuff and keeping you up all night? Do you love your neighbor that walks his dog and his dog does something in your yard? 
It doesn't clean it up, right? Do you love your neighbor? Honestly. Here, here's what I, I told somebody that this week too. I said, you know, this book right here, and I think I've said this before, this book right here, nowhere in here do I, have I read, and if it does, you tell me if I'm wrong, nowhere in here does it say I got to like people. <laughs> but you know what it says? I got to love people. And here's what I found, man. This is what I found, what is so true and so beautiful. When I'm, God, I just want to love people. I want to love people the way that you love me. And when I begin to do that, man, I find out I kind of like people. I like those weird people. And what I've discovered is I'm one of those people, right? It's a beautiful thing to do. You love people. How do you love people? And why do you love people? This is what we're going to look at today, the questions that we're going to walk through in our passage in 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. You got your Bibles? I'll give you a minute. You have your Bibles open, 1 John 3? Yes. All right, let's go. 1 John 3, start verse 11 all the way through verse 18. John says this, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us love not in word or talk, but in deed and in truth." Let's ask God, ask God to bless our time this morning. Father in heaven, I praise you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. And God, I thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you loved us while we were enemies of you. And that your love is greater than any wrong we could ever do. And Father, I praise you for that, Lord. I ask that you would... You would allow us just to, to soak in that love for just a little bit this morning, but Father, I pray that in us it would produce love not only for our brothers, our Christian brothers and sisters, but Father, even those that are not our brothers and sisters, that we would love them, that they would be our brothers and our sisters. So Father, help us to love the way that you love us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen and amen. We're talking about love this morning. And John talks a lot about to say love for the brother, love for the brother, and I love that. I like that he says that because uh, the main focus is is that we as Christians, there's a certain kind of love that we should have for one another, because we are family. We are true family. God has made us family. Christ has made us brothers and sisters. We're blood bought, uh, adopted into that family. We talked about that a few weeks ago. We are family, and there's a little bit different kind of love for family, right? Can't pick your family, you gotta love them though, right? 
This is, this is, think about that, but, he, but I don't want us to stop there because I think we can get a little bit, we can get a little bit narrow-minded here. And when I, I look and I pray and I, I study through this, I'm thinking, there was at one time I was not a brother or a sister. I was lost. I was not saved. I didn't know God's good graces, but yet someone loved me enough to share the gospel with me. My dad, sitting on our back porch when I was just a kid, Loved me enough to share the truth of the gospel with me. And God rescued me. The first day I ever had any affection for Jesus was on the back porch of our house, sitting with my dad, sharing the gospel with me. But I also think about so many other people that loved me enough to share the truth with me prior to that, so the gospel was being poured over me and poured over me and poured over me, and they loved me enough to share the truth. And I think I want you to be a brother. This is the desire of that. And I, I don't think we can stop short of just saying, hey, we just need to love our brothers, our Christian brothers and sisters. I think we need to think about, man, who could God save? Could it be my neighbor with his dog that walks by every morning? Could be. Praise God if he does. We need to think about those things. So I kind of look at this as going, man, are these potential brothers and sisters? Do we love other people? Here's the first thing I want us to talk about, and this is verse 11. He says, this, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. In verse 11, John reminds his readers that the message of love is nothing new. In fact, he, man, he talks about this over and over and over again. And what John is reminding us is going, hey, uh, John heard this from Jesus' own mouth, his teachings, and the way that he demonstrated love for other people. In fact, we see love as foundational in who God is. We, as Christians, we should see love as foundational for who God is. We see this in creation. We see God's love in creation. Let me put this into perspective for just a second. This is just what astronomers tell us that there are more galaxies in the universe than there are people. I want you to think about that for galaxies, not planets. They would argue that there are more galaxies in the universe than there are people. That's big, right? Is that not big? That's huge. Here is Earth. This rock that's in some obscure galaxy over in the corner of all the universe. And then here is Severance, <laughs> a little bitty cornfield on that patch, on that rock, in an obscure planet, in an obscure galaxy, tucked, uh, uh, a galaxy tucked in the corner of the universe. And here you sit. And God knows you. God knows you. In fact, Scripture tells us that he, he knit you together in your mother's womb. That there was care and there was purpose. And God specifically designed you. Of all creation and all of the universe and all things, God created you. He said He knows you. I love what the psalmist says here in Psalm 8, 3, 3 and 4. He says this, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, the psalmist says this, What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? 
The psalmist is saying, who am I? Of all of your creation, who am I? Who am I that you would know me? But God does care for us. I mean, look at how he made us. Look at where he put us. Look at what he allows us to enjoy. Look at our children. God cares for us. He loves us. He loves his creation. God created the heavens and the earth, and, and he did this out of his character for love. He, he created us, and he, he created us out of his attribute of love, this identity of who God is. He created us out of that, and we are made in his image. Let me tell you something. We are the only creation made in God's image. A little rock in an obscure galaxy in the corner of the universe in Severance, Colorado, you are made in God's image. Let that sink in for just a moment. Doesn't that, doesn't that make you sit back and go, oh, man, that's pretty awesome. You're made in His image. You, this is, you are the only thing created in God's image. He didn't make anything else in His image. And he did this because he loves you. We are his prized creation. Did you know that? That we are God's prized creation. And let me tell you something. That's not the depth of God's love. That is the only the beginning of the depth of God's love. It goes deeper. Here's the truth of his prized creation. We don't reciprocate that love. In and of ourselves, we don't reciprocate that love for Him. We have rebelled against His love for us. We have rebelled against His love-driven, God-given, good authority. We talked about that last week, about sin. We talked about those things. We have rebelled against God's good authority. We're, we are created in His image, but yet we rebel against His good authority, and we sin, and what we deserve is His wrath. But God loves us. He loves His kids. Those that He calls to Himself, he, he loves us. We talked about this last week, Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. <laughs> I just encourage you, man, if you just want some daily reading, read Ephesians 2. Read Ephesians 2. In fact, our, our guys, just a little, little tidbit, our guys that are going to our preaching cohort, that was a text that we gave them for this round. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10, and they are wrestling with that passage of Scripture. Listen to what he says. We deserve wrath, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great what? Love. Because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By, by grace, you have been saved. God loves His prize, His rebellious creation. He loves people so much that He sent His Son to save us. So what John 3.16 means, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Let me tell you something. You are, are so loved. God's creation, people are so loved that Jesus did not come. He, Jesus didn't come to die for your dog. Okay? Hey, the question is, are there going to be animals in heaven? I believe so, but not that one. 
Here's the reason. God did not die on the cross for your dog. He did not. He died for you. You needed saving. Your dog doesn't. Now, I love my poodles. Don't get me wrong. I have two awesome standard poodles. They're awesome. But, God, but Jesus didn't die for my poodles. Jesus died for me. This is the foundation of why we love. Because God loves us so very much. It is out of His magnificent, unbelievable, tidal wave overflow of love that we are redeemed. Christian, if you're a Christian, if your faith is in Jesus, then you need to ponder that daily. God's love is so great, so powerful, so overwhelming. That Christ became sin for you. That God's love for you is greater than any evil. Any evil that could overcome you. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? It's only by His grace through faith in His love that we have eternal life. Paul says, puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 1. Just read the book of Ephesians. It's a great book. Just read that book. Just, just you want to look for Bible studies, start in Ephesians. Great book. But Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 6, he says this. Paul says this. this oh, you can hear it in, in Paul's writing. It's overflowing from him. It's just, Paul does this often because he's thinking about the gospel and thinking what he deserves as God's wrath, but he understands and knows the great mercy and grace that God gives him. And it just kind of pours out. He kind of word vomits on, on the papyrus and he's writing these things. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Verse, starting almost in verse 5, He says, In love, in love, in love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Christian, you, you need to know this. You need to understand this because this is where it's, it begins. We're going to talk about Cain and Abel and the mess that they got into there. This is foundational. Christian, your faith is built on the unshakable foundation of God's great love, and it was from the beginning. You are saved only, only because God loves you. Amen? Praise God for His love. Praise God for His love. Let's keep looking in our text. I'm going to read verse 12 here. We're just going to kind of walk through the verses this morning. John says, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. See, if we, if we, if we know this great love... And it's the foundation of our faith. Why do we not love better? Why do we not love better? Why, why, why doesn't the world love better? I'm going to take a, this is a, a case study of Cain and Abel. 
John tells us that failing to love one another goes back to the beginning. He goes all the way back to Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel's Adam and Eve. They had some kids. They were Cain and Abel. And, and here's what, we, what John wants us to know, that this evil thing goes back to the beginning. It goes back to the foundation of not understanding God's love for us. That's why it goes all the way back to the beginning. He goes, look at Cain and Abel. It's not a new problem. It's an old one. In Genesis 4, you can read this story about Cain and Abel. We see that Adam and Eve, they had two sons. They had Cain. They had Abel. Cain was a farmer. Abel was a rancher. Cain loved to raise crops. Abel, he raised livestock. And they were taught, I'm assuming that they were taught, that they would bring their first fruits to offer to God. The best of the best. This, this first fruits, these are their, their first and the best they had to offer. They would come and bring them as an offering to God. And, and here's the thing, church. We are to do the same thing. We are to do the same thing. And, and there's reasons why we do that. Number one, it shows that we have, we have God as our highest priority. This is why we, we take up our offerings, our tithes and our offerings. This is why we do that. Because we, we see and we take it out of our, our first, not our last. We should, we should teach that, that we should take these things out of first because God is our first priority because He is most important to us. So why we do those things, why we give and why we serve, we make that a priority. But there's another reason there too. It shows us that we are good stewards of what God has given us. You see Cain and Abel, you read in Genesis 4, they both bring their first and their best, and they offer it to God, and God looks at their offerings of the two, and He rejects Cain's, and He accepts Abel's. Cain, I don't like your offering, but I do like your brothers, taking your brothers. And Cain got angry. He got angry, and God could see that. And he told him, he says, hey, Cain, sin is crouching at your door because of your attitude. Sin is crouching at your door. You need to be careful. You need to deal with that anger. You need to do something with it. You need to dispel that anger because sin is crouching at your door. So you need to be careful, but, but Cain didn't heed that. Instead, the anger grew. And grew in him. It festered in him. And one day, he strikes down his brother. He murders his brother. He kills him. And the big question you look in here, and I, I've kind of studied on this, and the guys go, well, why did, why did God reject Cain's offering? And he accepted Abel's. There's a simple answer to that. It's heart what's in the heart. The problem was not simply what they had in their hand. The problem was what was in their heart. Because both of them brought offerings, and Scripture tells us it was their first fruit. But the problem was Cain didn't bring an offering in his heart to the Lord. And his brother did. We see evidence of this in Hebrews 11, verse 4. It says, By faith Abel offered to God more, a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. That word righteous gives us some indication there about the condition of his heart. God commending him by accepting his gift. And through his faith, though he died, he, didn't, he still speaks. See, Abel offered 
His offering as an act of love towards God, the one that, that's God that was the giver of what he had, and he knew he owed everything to God. And he was so appreciative, and he did this, but Cain, Cain offered his gift to manipulate God, to earn God's favor versus knowing God's favor. See, the problem was, is Cain wasn't in a right relationship with the Lord, and Abel was. You see the foundation of love there in that story? See, Abel understood the foundation of God's love, therefore he could, he could act right towards his brother, and Cain couldn't. Abel had an offering in his hand, and love and faith in God in his heart. And Cain, he did have an offering in his hand, but no love or faith or love in God in his heart. Here's the, here's the idea behind this. This is why I believe that John put this in there. One way that we love others and guard against hatred is we come to God with real worship, meaning we come with not only an offering in our hands, but a right attitude in our heart. I think this is what we see in all of Scripture. And so often people say, well, God knows my heart. Really? He sure does. He does. God knows my heart. He does. And often evidence of what is in a heart oftentimes is what is in our, in our hands. See, when we begin to worship God out of adoration for what He has done, and is given to us, we can see others differently. We are to worship and give and serve God out of adoration, not out of obligation. Man, this is what I think so many churches and so many Christians get wrong in their attitude of worship. They think, I have to go and worship God. I have to go and serve. I have to go and give. I have to go and do these things. No, you don't. Christian, you get to do these things. You get to do these things out of the abundance of God's love that He has given you. He's given you all that you have. When we talk about giving, this is the, the mindset of not ownership, but stewardship. God has given you everything. He's given you 24 hours in a day. He's given you your job. He's given you your family. He's given you your talents. All of those things. And when we know God's love for us, knowing that He is the giver of all of those things out of love, we can do those things towards others. This is why we give and why we serve. Church, you want to know where your offering goes? Ask me. I'll give you a copy of our budget. You want to know where those things go? It goes so we can reach people with the gospel because we love them. It goes towards those things. These guys, there's about eight or nine guys that I asked to be a part of our preaching cohort. You know what I think? I said, man, just think about what you get to do. You get to sacrifice your time and your study, and God grows you in your faith, and you get to love people by sharing what God has taught you and showed you throughout your studies throughout the week. It's good. Ask these guys. It's not out of obligation. It's out of adoration. Adoration towards God because He loves us. Church, we are to fight against hatred, and we're motivated to love by worshiping God, by being aware of we, what we have in our hands, and why? 
Why? And aware of, of what is in our hearts. about what all, how much God loves us. Man, if you, you have a, here's the thing, if you struggle with, with giving and serving and those things going, I just don't have time or whatever, you need to check about what you love most. And who sits on the throne of your heart? And I think maybe you may be diminishing the love that God has for you. Because everything that you have is His. He bought it and paid for it with His blood. It's important, especially in our act of worship. I read this passage to you, Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. It says, so if you're offering your gift, this is, this is how it relates to, to how we love other people. I love this passage. So if, if you're offering your gift at the altar and they're There, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Cain hated his brother. He didn't love his brother because he was not first right with God. 1 John 4.19, we'll see it in maybe a month or so, I don't know. He says this, we love because He first loved us. So let's talk about that for a moment. John talks about and kind of moves us into the next section, verses 13 through 15. Why should we do those things? And why doesn't the world do those things? Why, why doesn't the world do those things? Well, here's the, here's the thing. The Christian defines love differently than the world. Look at verses 13 through 15. It says, do not be surprised, brothers, when the world hates you. We know that, when, that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. In these verses, John tells us what he's saying here is that true believers have a different definition of love than the world. We define love differently because we know love differently than the world. He says the world will hate you, and we shouldn't be surprised. And the reason is, is that Christians live by a different hope, a different joy, a different standard. The reason is we live by God's standards and not the world's standards, especially when it comes to love. Let 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 me share with you kind of how the world defines love. Just a few things here. This is what the world says. The world defines love as this. I will respect you and give to you only if you do the same for me. I'll serve you if I'm going to get something out of it. And you better serve me first before I love you. Isn't that the way kind of the world sees things? I'll do for you if you do for me first. And if you don't do for me, then... (laughs) Forget it. Here's what the Bible says about this. Matthew 5, 38 through 43. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would, would sue you 
and take your tunic. Let him, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And Jesus goes on to say, he says, but I say, love your enemy and, and pray for those that persecute you. The world says love is weak and temporary. Don't fall in love. The world says, hey, be careful with love. The world says it's better to lust than to love. Or the world defines the world love as lust, often, doesn't it? The world says love is weak and temporary. You know what the Bible says? True love that comes from God that's more than a sexual type of love. It's true Love, this agape love. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says it this way. He says, love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Heard that at a wedding before? Anybody? It's greater than a wedding. Paul wasn't saying this at a wedding. He was saying this to the church at Corinth. Saying, church, love like this. Love is strong. It's overpowering. Man, love is what has saved us. The world also says, if you disagree with me, you don't love me. That's the biggest bunch of garbage I've ever heard in my life in our, our society today. How does that work with your kids? Do you discipline your kids? Do your kids ever disagree with you? Why do you discipline your kids? Somebody tell me, why do you discipline your kids? You can say it. You love them, right? Your kids ever disagree with you? Yeah. But you discipline them and you tell them the truth because you love them. But the world says, if you don't agree with me, if you don't accept me the way that I am, then you don't love me. No. What if, what if Jesus reacted that way to us? This is what the Bible says. If your brother sins against you, go to him and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Do you hear the love in this? Go and love your brother. Go and sit with him. Sit down with him and show him the truth. Sit down with him and, and, and seek reconciliation. Seek repentance. Seek this, this growing back together. And this is what he says, between you and him alone. He says, if he doesn't listen to you, you have gained, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. What he's saying is, if, if he doesn't understand your love for him, Grab some other guys that love him. Grab some other people and sit down and go, man, we love you. And we have to share this with you because we love you. And what you're doing, you're leading to this sin that we talked about last week. We talked about these things. And, and going, sin is one of those things that leads to hurt and pain and destruction and eventually death. And we don't want to see you go there. We love you enough for you to be angry with us. But we love you enough to sit down with you and walk you through repentance and reconciliation. This is what we do. This is how we love people. 
He goes on, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, meaning bring the church in and, and stir up love in the church for this brother. That the church would go, hey, brother, repent. Repent. Turn from that. He says, if he refuses to listen to the church, even to the church, let him to be you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And that doesn't say just, just kick them out of the church. It means let them feel the sting of not being in that circle and fellowship of love. And prayerfully, God would let them feel that and they would run back to it and repent. It's all about reconciliation here. The gospel is a message of reconciliation. And it is one of love when the world says, if you disagree with me, you don't love me, as Christians, we should first start out with, I love you. And yes, I disagree with you, because God disagrees with you. That's loving people. John says that, that hatred is the same as murder. We were at life group this past week, and one of the folks in our life group brought up this word hatred. They said, I've, I've really pondered the magnitude of that word. Because we talked about last week that God hates sin, so much so that He deals with it in a radical way. Well, look at what He says about hatred here. It's equivalent to murder. You ever hated anyone? You're guilty of murder if you've hated anyone. Praise God that His love overcomes that sin as well. Amen? Hatred is the opposite of love that many people would argue. And God is so much for love that He equates hatred as murder. I mean, this should... This should be a stark warning that we need to not hate, but to love. The world talks a lot about hate. In fact, I mean, you cannot do anything on TV or social media or anything without hate being spewed. The world talks a lot about hate. You know what Jesus talked a lot about? Love. He talked a lot about love. The world has a totally different outlook on love than the believer. And here's why. Because the unsaved world does not know the source of true love. I say this all the time. Unbelievers, don't be surprised if unbelievers act like unbelievers. Hey, church, they're supposed to. Right? They're supposed to sin. They don't know the love that we know. Non-Christians act like non-Christians, so we shouldn't gasp. What we should do is love them with the truth. But the other thing, too, is Christians should act like Christians. Lost people act like lost people. And you need to understand this, too. At one time, you were a lost person. But God loved you when you hated Him. Scripture tells us that we, were, we hated God. We were enemies of Him. But God loved you enough to save you. 
and show you His great love. And here's the thing. We are to love others who hate us because that's what Jesus did for us. Do you see the foundation of love here? Going back to that first thing we talked about, our foundation of love. It all goes back to that. It all goes back to that right there. That we love because, because God loves us. And it's a bank account that never goes dry. Here's the last thing I'm going to talk about here. This, this is what I put. John sees this in verse 16 through 18. Why don't you see this? But this we know love that he laid down his own life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, it closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Great question. Verse 18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And here is what John is saying. Talk is cheap. Talk's cheap. Our love is manifested in our actions. You know, last week I said something. I said, you know, our theology is evident in our actions. Our theology of love is evident in our actions of how we love. Our theology of how we understand God and His love, it should be evident in our actions of how we love other people. Here's where we get practical with that. If we say that, that we know the love of God, then we are to show the love of God to other people. Here's the thing. If I tell my wife and kids every day, hey, I love you. I love you. But never, ever do anything to show that. Where's the truth in those words? There is no truth in those words. There is no truth in those words at all. Look what John reminds us in these, these, these last verses. He says, Jesus laid down his own life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. Jesus didn't just talk about it. He did it. He did it. He acted. This is what he did. And, and if we are God's kids, we're to be at the same thing. Look at Matthew chapter 5, 38 through 44. I'm almost done. As if you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But, but I say to you, do not resist the evil one, just the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would, would sue you, we talked about this earlier. I want you to remind you this. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Do you hear that? I mean, this is what God says. This is, here's the thing. Jesus did every one of those things. I mean, we can study through the Gospels and I can, I can see this. I can see how, God, how Jesus lived this out. This eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You know that? He says, do not resist the evil one. He says, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, think of Jesus there in, when he's being stripped and they, the soldiers, they, they put the crown of thorns on his head and they, they put a purple robe on and put a reed in his hand and they punch him in the face. You know what Jesus did? He turned the other cheek. 
They took his tunic and divided it up. He gave it to them. Just take it. Take it. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Think of how often Jesus walked from city to city to love people, to teach and heal and feed. Give it to the one who begs from you. You think of how much grace and mercy God gives to us who beg from Him. God, have mercy upon me. Have mercy upon me. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Christ's last words on the cross was, Father, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus did every one of those things. Christian, we would do well to do those things as well. He generously he gave generously and he loves his enemies. And here's, here's just a few ways I want to share with you. And I'm going to, it's kind of wrapping up. This is kind of things I want us to discuss. If, if you would, just a family, maybe over lunch today or throughout the week. I want you to think about these things. Some practical ways that we can love others. Here's the first one. I want you to seek to bless, bless others for no reason other than to bless them. Try that. I want nothing in return. You may hate me, be angry with me, whatever. Be generous. Be generous. Philippians 2, 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Do that. Focus on that. Think about how can I, how can I just bless somebody out of the blue? Here's another reason. I want you to think about this. We say this all the time. In fact, my brother right over here made me this cool shirt. I should have worn it this morning. It says relationship over task. Relationship over task. We talk about that a lot. And here's what that means. That we are to be purposeful about making relationships a priority over completing some task. We don't make people a task that we do. You ever just tried to get to know somebody? How about making a relationship priority? Walking that extra mile with people. You might find out a little bit about them and why they are where they are and how you can walk with them and encourage them and bless them, to love them. Here's the thing. A lot of people, a lot of people all they need is for someone just to show them. We talked last week about this, this, you know, that, that the certain folks won't, inherit the kingdom of heaven. But here's the thing is, God's word says, as such were some of you, but you were washed. And we talked about this, the value of who truly love people is, is walking with people through repentance. Walking, this is where the church has, the, the American church has failed so much is we fail to walk with people through repentance. Here's the thing, so often the American church says, what you're doing is wrong, you're sinning, you need to get it right. And here's the thing, they probably go, I know, I don't know how. And we leave them there. You want to love people? Walk with them through repentance. 
Oftentimes, people that are stuck in sin, they don't know how to get out, and they just need someone to love them and say, this is how you get out of that. This is how I'm willing to fight alongside of you. They just don't know how. Church, we're called to love people that way. It's relationship over task. And this leads to the, 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 the third one. Remember, our goal is not to win arguments, but our goal is to win people. Your goal is not to win an argument, win a Christian argument. Here's what often happens. We can win all the arguments in the world, and so often we never win people. And I'm not saying that we downplay the gospel, share the truth with them, but remember that our goal is to win people to the truth. It means being that willing to walk through repentance with people. And here's the last one. In verse 44, Matthew 5, he says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. When was the last time you prayed for your enemies? When was the last time you prayed for yourself that God would show you how to love better? Pray for your own hearts to not be like the world, but be more like Jesus. Church, my prayer is that we, we will be known as a church that genuinely loves one another. Genuinely loves our community. Genuinely loves the lost. And here's why we do that. If we are true Christians, we do that because we know God's greater love for us. It's a foundation of love, a treasure that you have that is unlike any other treasure, and that is God's great love for you. Don't keep it bottled up. It's meant to be shared, and let's do that well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I praise you for your glorious grace and your mercy. I thank you for your love for us, your overwhelming love for us, that you call us your kids that you make us your own. God, that your love is, it overpowers any evil deed that we could ever do. And I praise you for that, Father. And Father, I ask for, for forgiveness for myself for, for not, not sharing that love the way that we should. So Father, my prayer is that Me, first and foremost, that I would love the way that you love me. And Father, that's my prayer for all of us here, that we would love the way that you love us. And God, we need your help in that. I pray that you would remind us of the goodness of who you are and that that would overflow to others around us. And Father, my prayer too is that if there are those here that don't know this great love, that they have heard the truth today and that, that they have experienced it today, that you are calling them unto you, that you would show them your love. Father, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for your great love for us. And it's in Jesus' holy and precious name that we pray. Amen and amen.